We're going to continue to worship the Lord together by reading His Word together. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and want to join me there, as uh, by God's grace, we're seeking to be shaped by and know the Lord through His Word, and in particular, 1 Peter in these days as a church family. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read together verses uh, 1 through 8. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone was that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling in a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the living stone, the Lord Jesus. Because of Christ, because of Christ, all of our best days are still to come. But Father, we can read your word and see that it really matters how we respond to Jesus Those who believe in Him will never be put to shame. But those who reject Him, Father, have rejected the only one who can ever really give life. So give us grace to not have just read Your Word, but to think about it, to believe it, and by Your grace be changed by it. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated, and uh, we're in a series of sermons. We're entitled, uh, entitled Heading Home. Just by way of reminder, we're not home. We're on our way home. Uh, we, we don't live in the world as tourists, kind of seeing the sights before we get home. We live, in, and he'll use the word here in verse 11, as sojourners. But there is an impulse, is there not, in us to want to make this place our home. And probably most of your frustration in life comes from wanting this to be home when it's not really home. And as it proves in this world, in this life, not to be home, it feels kind of frustrating. But Christ has come into the world to lead us home. And so we are heading home together. That's the title of this morning's sermon. And so uh, the way I've structured the sermon is going to be this way. We're going to have four exhortations that lead then to four sort of application questions. And I just want to encourage you as we get started, this really matters for your life, how you approach the Scripture. God does a great work among those who are humble. And if you are humble enough to say, I need to hear from the Lord from His Word, I believe He will speak to you. So here's the first exhortation from this passage. The Christian life includes both putting things away, and coming to Jesus. The Christian life, your life as a follower of Jesus, some things have got to go. Can we just say amen to this? Some things have got to go. 
You make no provision for the flesh. Some things got to go, and you have to have some initiative to pursue Jesus. It is both. Friends, this is repentance. Repentance is turning from sin in order to turn to Christ. Amen? And we get that right here. Verse 1 of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse 4. As you come to Him. So it's both. It's not either or. It's not one or the other. It is both. The first two commands that Jesus gives to His disciples in the Gospels are these. First, repent and follow Me. Those are the first two commandments. Now here's how Christianity does not work. You can't obey the second without having obeyed the first. You cannot follow him without putting some things away. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross. That's death to self and follow me. I'll illustrate it this way. A couple of years ago now, uh, I was with a group of uh, students here, and we'd gone to Atlanta, Georgia for a conference at the New Year. And on our way home, uh, we exited the highway and went to to lunch, probably Chick-fil-A, especially if I was driving. And we had eaten lunch, and we're getting back on the highway. Now, I'm in an unfamiliar place, and, and I'm just kind of going by feel, and so I get back on the highway. And I've got my phone with the GPS, and as soon as I pull on the highway, it starts giving me an alert saying, take the next exit. And I said, man, there's something wrong with my phone. A real polite passenger in the van speaks up and says, Brandon, are you sure we're heading in the right direction? Now, this is my foolishness. I say, I think my phone's glitched out. They say, my phone's saying the same thing. I should have probably clued in at that point. And I just fly past the exit. And then the phone alerts me again. Take the next exit and turn around. And then, as I'm driving, I see a highway sign. And it says, I-20 West. And I realize I'm headed in the wrong direction. So guess what I did? I took the next exit, I turned around, and I headed in the right direction. Now here's my question. How did I know I was going in the right direction? Because I was heading home. That's where I was going. So the direction of your life how you're choosing to live is on the basis of what you believe home is. And can I say it again? Home's not here. Now, here's what I did not do. This is not how the Christian life works. I did not pull off onto the side of the road and look at everybody and say, I am glad I'm no longer heading in the wrong direction, and I'm just going to sit here. Friends, that's not the Christian life. It's not just putting some things away. I just want to say this. I think early on in my life, I assumed Christianity was just don't do some things. Don't do this. And we all know the list, right? Here's a list of things that you don't do. And if you're really a follower of Jesus, you don't do those things. It's not putting away. It's putting away and turning and going too. Does that make sense? And friends, the things that you put away are put away because, read the Bible, because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's better to pursue him. I put the things away because, theology check, because I want to. Because I've got something better in Christ than whatever I'm leaving behind. Does that make sense? Secondly, secondly, I did not say, hey, I'm headed in the wrong direction. Pull off to the side, turn around, and put that baby in reverse as I continue to go. And say, at least I'm heading, at least I'm facing in the right direction while I'm still going in the wrong direction. I think that's some people's Christian life. Oh, my sight's on Jesus, 
but I've not put the things away. Does that make sense? It's both. The prodigal leaves the far country so that he can go home. That's the Christian life. It's turning or putting some things away and turning to. And sometimes we need one another's help in that, don't we? That's where the person spoke up in the van. Are you sure we're heading in the right direction? It's a polite way of saying, you know what they should have said? Brandon, turn around, right? And that's why we need each other. You need other believers in Christ Jesus. It's not just up to you and how you feel on the inside here to say, I'm going to follow my own heart and decide where I'm. No, no, no. There's two gospels in the world right now. One gospel, a false gospel, says there's something in here that you need to be delivered unto. The Bible says there's stuff in here that we need to be delivered from, friends, and they need to be put away. They don't lead to life in the way we've deceived ourselves in thinking that they do. The Christian life, exhortation number one, is both putting some things away and coming to Jesus. Now, I just want you to notice in verse 4 that you're called to a person, not called to a uh, uh, an ideology necessarily. I mean, we are in, in Christ, but the invitation is to Jesus, the person of Christ. In fact, what is the motivation for putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and evil and, and slander? If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. All right, so it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I'm assuming y'all have eaten some stuff this week. Anybody eating some stuff this week? I'm assuming you've sat at a table and many of us have eaten some stuff until we're stuffed. So let me ask you this way. At your Thanksgiving table, what did you most look forward to eating? Anybody, we've already used the verb stuff. Anybody just into the stuffing? I mean, I'm into the stuffing. And, and, and this is probably how it works for you. It's not just a particular dish. It's somebody's dish. Meaning, it's not just stuffing. It's grandma's stuffing. It's not just sweet potato casserole, it's aunt so-and-so's casserole. No one makes, you know what it is for you, what you have an appetite for. No one makes so-and-so like such-and-such. It's personal. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's what's true of the goodness of the Lord. Once you've tasted it, tasted it, you've concluded, ain't nobody got goodness like God does. And I'm going to sit at his table and I'm going to have my appetite satisfied there. Nobody else has got it. I'm asking you. This is a salvation question. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? I'm not asking you if grandma told you that he's good. I'm not asking you if mom and dad got out their book and read to you that the Lord is good. I'm asking you if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander because those things don't taste good anymore. Not after we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So again, friends, the Christian life is putting some things away because we are going to come to him, come to Jesus. And Peter knows what he's talking about, isn't he? doesn't he? Peter, Peter's lived a life of hypocrisy, hasn't he? Peter's lived a life of deceit. I will never forsake you, even if everybody else falls by the wayside. Isn't that what Peter said? 
And then multiple times he's denying Christ. Part of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is realizing that we're not. But man, even when we're not, he still is. I want you to know, verse 4, if you ever come to him in humility, he's never going to turn you away. You can't find one example in the Bible when the Lord Jesus is approached by someone in humility and repentance and faith that he ever turns them aside. And that'd be true of you as well. Second exhortation is remember the character and the heart of the one that we come to. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus defines his heart for us. We don't have to guess what is his heart like. In fact, there's one place and only one place that Jesus specifically says, this is what my heart is like. And you probably may be familiar with this passage. He says, come to me, same phrase there, right? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls for I am lowly and gentle of heart. So just remember when you come to him, that's who he is. Don't be deceived about how he is. Listen from his own lips tell you how he really is. I know I've quoted from the book before, uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. I'd commend it to you to, to read. And, and uh, I just love the way he does his introduction where he says, This book is written for the discouraged. I just want to see if anybody in here can relate to this. This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes. Those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Have you ever done that? I did that one time. It didn't go well. I was a younger man at the time, much wiser now. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect that we've deeply disappointed him who wonder if we've shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired, who are convinced we've permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord. Now, the whole book is great, but the book is written to that audience in line with the fact that that's the invitation that Jesus gives to come to himself. If you're weary and worn out, you qualify, in other words. Isn't that good news? In other words, you don't get your act together to come to the Lord. You come to the Lord, and he'll help you get your act together. I love the description that's given of Jesus here. As you come to him, hey, let's remember who we're coming unto, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. When you come to him, you come to one who's fully alive. Amen. He is. Third exhortation, taking it straight from the scripture here. Jesus was rejected by men, but he is chosen and precious in the sight of our heavenly father. Speaking of being weary or, or maybe heavy laden, I, I had a day like that not too long ago. You ever do that? I mean, you just wake up and you're just like, man, today, I don't even know what, I, don't, I couldn't even articulate why. You just feel a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit, uh, well, weary. Now, one thing in my life that I have learned to do is when I get to that point, I had to turn to his word. And so I was standing in this room. And it popped in my mind advice I'd heard years ago from a professor in seminary whose godly bands passed away. And his advice was simple. He said, brothers, sisters, saturate your life in the gospel of John. And so on that day when I just felt a little discouraged, I said, I'm going I'm to take him up on that. I'm just going to start 
setting my mind on things above. Amen? So I just started in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things are made through Him. And not anything that was made was made apart from Him. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. Here's some good news. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And John goes on to say, He came to His own, but His own received Him not. What Peter is saying. He's rejected. That's probably the biggest fear you've got is that you'll be rejected by other people, right? We do some crazy stuff in order for that not to happen. But Jesus was rejected. You want to talk about crazy? The creation rejects the creator. Just put those two simple thoughts from John 1 together. He made everything, and what he made rejected him. That's brazen, y'all. That's arrogant, and that's proud. That's why God draws near to the humble. What is precious in the sight of God is rejected by those who do not know God. So if we're listening to the Scripture, we should pray that God would help us see as precious what is valuable in His sight. In, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. In the sight of men, rejected. But you want to talk about amazing grace. Look with me in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. How did Jesus respond to the rejection, right? For to this you have been called, 1 Peter 2.21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. What are his steps? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ was rejected and he responded with powerful grace. So, a couple quick things. Man, when you, uh, f- first of all, just Go on and understand and resolve. If you're going to follow Christ, you're not going to be applauded in this life. That's just not going to happen. If they rejected Christ and you're going to follow Christ, guess what that means for you? You're going to live a life of sort of perpetual rejection. You're not going to be esteemed. You're not going to be appreciated. You're not going to get the promotion because you're a follower of Jesus. You're going to get rejection because you identify with him. So that's going to happen. But second, when you are rejected, you don't respond with, oh yeah, well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to, no. It's not what Christ does. When you're insulted, you don't insult back. You keep entrusting, look what he says, not just because it's nice to do, he's entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The conclusions of today by the world are not forever. God's going to have the last word. You can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Second, I'd encourage you, when you are rejected, you don't drop out. Probably a temptation all of us face to say, well, I'm heading home. I'm not home yet. I got you. I'm tracking with you from 1 Peter. So therefore, I'm just going to kind of drop out, live off in the corner, shelter up until I get home. That's also not what we learn from the Scripture. Jesus didn't drop out. 
He went all the way to the cross. And that's what, look at the phrase, you might follow in his steps. The rejection might be unto, without being dramatic, unto the laying down of your own life. When Christ was rejected, he responds with powerful grace. Because Jesus never saves anyone who had not first rejected him. Does that make sense? That's our natural inclination, is to reject him. That's what sin is. It's a rejection of God and his character. Fourth, last exhortation, and then I'm going to have four application questions in line with the exhortations, is, is, is this. God is redeeming and building a people, not individuals. Now, we've read Luke uh, I'm sorry, we've read 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 8. Just to emphasize again, um, verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are being built up. And we can keep reading, but what I'm what I'm getting at is the word you, Y-O-U, is, is used a lot. And every single time, listen to me, every single time it's used, it's plural. It's confusing in English, right? Because the second uh, personal pronoun, singular and plural, is the same. It's you and you. Now, we know here in North Carolina, we saw this long ago because we got you and y'all. All the yous in First Peter are y'alls. In fact, you might be helped to know that most all the yous in the New Testament are y'alls. Why? Because God is not building up just your life. He's building up a people. That's the whole, we'll study it more, but that's the whole thrust of verses 9 through 12. God is building a people, not just your individual life. In, in fact, spiritual growth will happen in your life when you see your individual life is about being a part of the people of God. I was thinking about this morning, man, some awesome stuff has happened around our church family in the last couple of months. I mean, hard work's gone into Operation Christmas Child, both putting things together and then shipping them out. Wednesday night, our small groups hosted the international students. And I just marveled at how people work together. International students from the college. I didn't put a single light up in here, y'all. But there have been people here because it's important. They say, well, we want to serve the church family and and make Christmas season full of light. It's not just about your life. Another illustration is when we leave from here, probably most of us are leaving in cars, right? I've used this illustration before, but I think it's just helpful. You're going to get in your car, and I hope, and I've seen this happen too, I hope if you got to your car and you had a flat tire, everybody wouldn't just drive off and say, well, man, that's on you. That's your problem. So change your tire before something like that, right? Now, you wouldn't do that, but you could do that. But, but what if instead of in individual cars, we were all on a boat in the middle of the ocean and a hole was in the boat below the water line? Now you wouldn't say that's your problem. You would say what? That's, that's our problem. And that's how the church is. Man, when someone in the church family has a struggle we have a struggle. Do you know what I'm saying? We are going to bear one another's burdens. It's not his burden, her burden. It's, it's 
our burden. God's building a people. For what purpose? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And what's Peter talking about here? Now remember, Peter is writing an audience that comes from a primarily Jewish background. They've been converted to Christ, but their cultural background is Judaism. So, so they know readily the imagery that Peter is choosing to use it's, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He, he's talking about the temple. When you would go to the temple and you would make sacrifices. Now, what was the whole point of the temple sacrifice? Of course, it was picturing Christ and the sacrifice he was going to make. That's why when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, right? We, we know that. I hope you know that. But the whole point of the temple was that was where humans met with God. Sacrifices made, and it's in the temple that people could meet with God. But what happened in that physical temple informs us of the purpose of the spiritual temple, the people of God that God is building. Friends, we're supposed to live in such a way that people could meet the living God. Not just among us when we're gathered like here, but it does include this. But when you're living for the glory of Christ, wherever you go, your, your life now is the purpose is that people could meet the living God. We love one another in such a way that people come to know who God really is. And you go anywhere in the world, you're going to find malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. That's what you're going to find wherever you go. In the church, in the people of God, is the only place you could go and not find those things. Let me illustrate it this way. I was at the YMCA this week. Some of y'all might have seen this online. I actually bought it. I'm always looking for help when it comes to my exercise. It's a push-up board. And based on where you put the handles, it works either your shoulders, your triceps, your chest, or your back. And so I went to the Y this week, and I was carrying this under my arm. And I, if you're familiar with the Y, you walk upstairs to get to where all the equipment is. And I had taken about two steps in to the Y when this guy from behind me goes, hey, hey. And I turned around, and he points at my board, and he says, does that thing work? And he kind of came up to me quickly, and I said, I have to confess, had my headphones in, so I didn't hear him the first time other than someone I could tell was yelling at me. So I took my headphones out, and he says, does that thing work? And then he did something. And you might guess what he did. It was fast, but I saw him do it. Do you know what he did? He looked from the board, and he looked at me, <laughs> like kind of quick. And then he was like, and then he kind of looked back up at me. Why did he do that? It was fast, but man, it was important. You know what he did, don't you? And not only do you know what he did, you know why he did it, don't you? What did he do? He went from asking about the board to quickly glancing and saying, I asked him if it works, but I can kind of tell whether or not it works too, right? Let's take some inventory. Now, here's what's true. Uh, The glance at me doesn't determine whether the board works. The glance at me determines whether I work the board. Does that make sense? But we understand what we say and what we do goes together. 
So, it's what it means, friends. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, don't go carrying your board around if... I'm not actually going to do a push-up because I need to use the board more than my friend. I'll actually split my coat, but... You understand the point, maybe, but I want you to think about it with me. The gospel is powerful. It is. It's the power of God unto salvation. Transforms your life. But what that gentleman did at the walkway at the Y, the unbelieving world around you does the same thing. And friends, it's valid that they do so. When the guy asks me, does the board work, and then glances at me, I don't say, what are you glancing at me for? I know. He's taking inventory. And friends, it's important. If we say we believe the gospel, we say we believe in one who humbled himself, went to the cross, crucified for our sins, and as Pastor Blake preached last Sunday, resurrected, it does change everything. So it's a valid question. If people come among the people of God and find malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, that is precisely why Peter says what he says in verse 3. If, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Can we talk for a moment? The apostles are always saying stuff like this in the New Testament. Paul says it in Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul says it again in Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God due to the hardness of their heart. And they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every form of impurity. Y'all, the days we're living in are nothing new. There's old as sin. Here's what he says next. But that is not how you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him as the truth is in Jesus. So let me give you a good Bible, New Testament, Holy Spirit-inspired principle for life. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can be deceived about whether you have been saved. It's fine for people to say, let me look at the evidence, because that's what a witness is, is now does my life back up what the Bible says is true and those who are converted. And one of the things we see is that God's not just building my individual life. He's making me a part of his people. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, verse 4. And all those who build their lives upon him become like him. Amen? We can't build upon the living stone Without you yourselves, verse 5, like living stones, are being built up. Now, it is ongoing. 
It is a work in progress, but man, it is a work that is progressing, like a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, four application questions. And you'll see pretty readily, we're just going to take them from our four exhortations. First one would be this. What in my life needs to be put away so that I may more deeply love and follow Jesus? It's where we started. Some things have got to go. Is there something in your life that's hindering you from living a life unto the Lord? Now, uh, when it came to my Thanksgiving table, for the most part, man, there's nothing going to keep me from that table. I mean, I like some stuff on the table. That's the motivation behind pursuing Jesus. Is whatever needs to be put away, I'm going to put away because... It's me settling for a lesser life. I asked the question, what in my life needs to be put away so that, I, so that I may more deeply love and follow Jesus? And I was thinking about this last night, and I think maybe a better way would be to ask it this way. What in my life is being put away because I love Jesus more deeply? Does that make sense? This has got to go. Second question. Where am I most seeking to be informed of and shaped by the character and the heart of Christ? I think we started our worship service by saying uh, uh, every soul magnifies something. And, and, and so with every soul magnifying something, you and your life right now are being shaped by whatever your soul's magnifying. That makes sense, right? So, so what is shaping your soul right now? Friends, let me just go on and tell you. Netflix isn't going to shape you under the character of Christ. It's not. M- most all that we scroll through and stream, it's not shaping you under the character of Christ. Now, we watch those things to the extent that we have an appetite for them. Is the Holy Spirit curtailing your appetite for worldliness while cultivating an appetite for godliness? I'm not saying that in a legalistic sense. I mean, what do you really hunger for? It's because that's what you love. Where am I most seeking to be shaped? So do you intentionally seek the Lord in His Word, in prayerful reading of His Word, and quiet and in solitude? Man, it's a noisy world. You've got to find some quiet and solitude. You're being discipled into somebody. So what is it? Something is shaping your character, your thoughts, and your heart. What is it? You need to know what it is. Put away, come to Him, our words of initiative. You don't drift, friends, into godliness. Some, some, for, 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 for us in this life, it's a fight for every inch of progress, isn't it? But Christ is with us. Third, is my heart set on what is precious in the sight of God? So if you take inventory of your life, It's a good use of Sundays, by the way. We need a day once a week where we're doing this, taking inventory. Where am I heading? Am I on I-20 West when I need to be on I-20 East? I just pulled over to the side, right? Am I devoting myself to what is precious in His sight? Or, listen to me, am I devoting myself to what's precious in His sight? Or am I devoting myself to what will spare me from being rejected by others? So you're probably not doing both. And then fourth, am I leveraging my life for the people of God and not just myself? 
my leveraging my life for the people of God and not just myself. We live in an extremely individualistic culture. Told all the time to just live for yourself. But, but who in the church family is being edified by you? Spurred on by you? Encouraged by you? Loved by you? And, and then at the same time, this is the glorious part of a church family. Who's edifying you? Who's encouraging you? Who knows the real hardships you're facing and is seeking by God's grace to help alleviate them? Another way of thinking about it is you, you cannot become increasingly like Jesus without increasingly loving his people. If you're going to become more like Jesus, you're going to love what he loves. And I can tell you, friends, he does love the church. He gave himself up for her. And so am I leveraging my life for the people of God? Isn't studying the Bible helpful? It's just helpful. I want you to look over the exhortations that we gave and the questions. Now, here's the easiest thing in the world to do. This is kind of how the world works. Next. What's next? We have a time of response so that we don't rush to next. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to take away the push-up bar, right? Maybe we'll have a contest at the end of the service. We'll see who can do the most of these. It won't be me. You bow your heads with me and time of response. The Holy Spirit may lead you to stay right where you are and pray. You're welcome. Sometimes it's helpful to, to put uh, feet to faith, so to speak. You can come to the front and speak and listen to the Lord. Welcome to do that. Be my joy. If somebody's got a burden on your heart before you're gone today, I'd love to pray with you and talk to you and listen to you. So just in a few brief, still moments, is there something in your life when you listen to the Lord that needs to be put away? Is there a... Is there a some manner of hope in your heart that you can both follow the Lord and not face rejection in the world? Maybe a time of response you'd ask God to help you to resolve that fear. You'd fear God and not people. Perhaps for you this morning, you just need to recover an accurate view of the character and heart of Christ as He truly is. And then for others of us, the Lord would give us grace to say, I'm going to leverage my life, not just for me, but for God's people. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I just think of what Peter said. You died on the cross for our sins. So may we become increasingly like um, our King, the Lord Jesus, so that we are a people here. Our local church is a people here where other people can meet the living God. That there's a consistency between what we claim and say and evidence in our lives that the power of God is at work in us. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.